Hi there. So I guess by the time you see this, or by the time this goes out, it'll be 20th of March, 2022. And what do I have to say? Well, I've got a lot to say, I guess. I mean, I've just been thinking a lot about the whole sweeping issue of the Middle East, the states in the Middle East and how they function or how they fail to function. And I would like to share a few thoughts with you. I kind of guess that they might be of interest. I don't know. I mean, let's look at the big burden Middle East states have to carry. And the big burden they have to carry is the interest of the Western nations. I mean, the Western nations claim to be interested in democracy in the Middle East. They claim to be interested. The reality is, of course, that it's impossible for them to tolerate real democracy in the Middle East. Uh, countries like Libya, where were there a free and fair vote, they might elect Saif al-Qaddafi, Qaddafi's son. Uh, <laughs> no, we couldn't tolerate that. Uh, we couldn't tolerate democracy in Iraq, in the, in, in the very first election in Iraq that was ever held in Iraq. The Sunnis boycotted the vote uh, to a man. I mean, it was a total boycott. So, so you could you could say because of peer group pressure for whatever reason, but intimidation. But they they boycotted the vote. We wouldn't tolerate that, and we, uh, when in the count, we insisted for the good of Iraq that those participating in the count. When I say we, I mean the United States of America and the United Kingdom, Great Britain who were there and actively engaged, insisted that a couple of percentage points of the vote were given to a candidate respected by the Sunni community. And they chose Iyad Alawi, very good man, actually. And with Britain's collusion, manipulated that first vote in Iraq. Of course, once you started down this road, you can never stop, can you? Palestine, another example. Uh, we had the, that election. You remember that famous election that brought Hamas to power? I mean, it was the most monitored election in Middle East history and world history. And the Palestinians voted for the group we didn't approve of, for Hamas. And we couldn't tolerate that. And we had to do something about that. So we couldn't tolerate democracy in Palestine. We will never allow another democratic election in Palestine. Now, what else do the Middle East states have to carry burdens from the West that make it difficult for them to function? Sanctions. Lebanon is crippled by sanctions, banking sanctions. I mean, they don't call them sanctions, but the U.S. government has has um, disenfranchised all banks that have any dealings with Hezbollah. And, of course, half the population in, uh, in Lebanon is Hezbollah, southern area, you know, the Shiite population, um, whether they want to be or not. So Lebanon now is going down the tubes, miserable, um, no electricity, no rubbish collection. The whole place is falling apart, largely because of our pressure on the banking system. Syria, the same. Sanctions now, people are living, people have come through a winter so miserable. They have to queue for two days to get oil or, or even petrol for their cars. They 90% um, of the population of the entire country is, are, are on virtual subsistence levels of, of food and supplies. 
very, very cruel through a cold winter. The population is suffering under sanctions. Not the elite, not Bashar al-Assad. He's not suffering in his palace. He has his porridge for breakfast. No, the ordinary population, same with Iran, of course. The supreme leader of Iran is, is yes, he has his little electric fire to keep his toes warm, and he's as cushy as can be. Then the population have all sorts of problems because of sanctions, all sorts of misery. And this is the Western weapon. It is a cruel and wrong thing that we do. Oh, you say, but we can sanction individuals, the rich ones. You think that's going to make a difference? You think it's going to make a difference in Russia sanctioning the oligarchs? You think Putin is afraid? Oh, is he trembling in his boots? Because of some palace coup, because you've sanctioned the oligarchs? I mean, it's the ordinary people that pay the price. And sanctioning a couple of the elite is not going to make a tiny bit of difference. Another Western weapon that cripples the Middle East and cripples the world is this business of recognition. I mean, there's a UN resolution that's just been passed that says <laughs> the Houthis are a terrorist group. All five P5 members, or Ansar Allah, as they call them, I shouldn't say the Houthis, because it's like Houthis are a social group, if you like, rather than um, a political movement. Ansar Allah is a terrorist group, it says. Ansar Allah controls most of Yemen, but no, they're a terrorist group, so we're not allowed to talk to them. Do you know how that cripples ongoing peace negotiations, like the ones uh, currently on, with regard to Yemen that are going on in Jordan? I mean, crippled by this behavior the lack of recognition for the, the group that controls most of North Yemen. Well, all of North Yemen, apart from Marib province. Um, recognition is such an issue. Hamas, of course. Hamas controls Gaza. We don't recognize Hamas. We won't talk to Hamas. We send them to Coventry. We, that's in a British expression. It means, you know, we just simply don't talk to them. Uh, even the Prophet Muhammad talked to his enemies. You know, you have to. But no, not us, but Hamas, because they're obscene, because they won't we won't recognize them. But this cripples peace. It means you can have endless ceasefires, of course, hoodnas, as the Arabs call them, hoodnas. But they'd get us nowhere. We need a peace settlement. And if you won't talk to the principal actors, then you're crippled. Taliban. I mean, of course, we all hate the Taliban. What's there to like? And yet, if we care about Afghanistan and women's rights and all the other issues, then we have to have embassies there. We have to have functioning state recognition and get on with it. But we use this as a... We cut off our nose to spite our face. We use the idea, the concept of not talking to people as a method of punishment. We're punishing ourselves, we're punishing world stability, we're, it, it's morally, ethically wrong. Political interference, we, we do that a lot. Currently in Iraq they're 
both the USA and Iran are disturbed by the thought that we might not have a government of national unity. They want a government of national unity. So there's pressure to stop a majoritarian government with an opposition from these two great powers who are of one mind on this. But more, I mean, if you want to go historically and look at Iraq and see how political interference by the great powers has messed things up, look at, I mean, Maliki, Maliki too, the the election, the second election that brought Maliki back to power, he lost it. He lost that election. He lost it substantially. Well, substantially, he lost it to Iadalawi. But we muscled in, we, I say the United States of America primarily in this context, and United Kingdom, it's puppy dog. Well, whatever, you know, UK sometimes is in the lead. On Libya, we were in the lead, um, thanks to blessed David Cameron. America can't be blamed for that. But in Iraq, with regard to the election result that brought Maliki back into power for a second time, it didn't bring Maliki back into power for a second time. We interfered. We got the Kurds to support Maliki and so to defeat the the winning side, which is the Adalawi's group. Yet we do that, you see. We interfere. Military interference then became necessary because Maliki to Mal- Maliki, what did he do? He uh, started arresting husbands with wives. He basically gave the Sunni community a hard time and you got the emergence of Daesh. So we have to be careful about this kind of interference. It's not constructive. And then military interference becomes necessary because we've got to then take out Daesh, ISIS, I mean, if you prefer, or ISIL, if you're Americans. So it's not the right thing to do. Honor and dishonor. What would we like to see? Well, we would like to, if, if the West could be better behaved, and encourage peaceful change. For example, encouraging Abu Mazen to hold presidential elections in Palestine. I mean, Abu Mazen makes me look young. He's a wrinkly guy, and it's time for him to step aside. And the West could encourage him to do so. Or uh, oppose the hegemonic advance of Turkey. That would be a decent thing to do in terms of creating stability in the Middle East. I mean, Turkey already has bases in Duhok Airport down in, and, and again down in Bishika and so on, right down into Iraq. And now it's, it, of course, has cut out great swathes of northern Syria, which is taken control of. Turkey, the new imperial power. Well, the West could just put the brakes on Turkey. And and we could support human rights as well. That would be very decent in a non-partisan way. So if we have an issue with human rights in Iran, we should also clearly make a point about human rights in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, we shouldn't be selective about these issues. That's what we are. So what does all this mean? Is there hope? Yes, I think there is hope. The West, so much like the Eye of Mordor, its attention is diverted to Ukraine, which gives the Middle East a chance to breathe. A better chance now for Afghanistan, for Iraq, for Libya. 
and for Yemen. I mean, Yemen will be partitioned, is partitioned already into two states. It's not one state. The fiction to call it one state, the Houthis, or Ansar Allah, I beg your pardon. I tell other people not to call them the Houthis. Ansar Allah have control of most of northern Yemen, apart from Mara province, and they are the solid government of the north, and south is under the Southern Transitional Council, and alongside one or two other factions in a kind of coalition. So Yemen is split. Yemen is two countries. And that's more hopeful. It was two countries before. We need to just get on with things now. There's a chance for a better time in the Middle East. There is a chance. Fewer people are dying in Syria and so on. So, I mean, yeah, I know they're dying in the droves in Yemen. And the deaths go unrecorded, of course, there. But by and large, the Middle East is a more peaceful place. And what's the final word for you? I just come back to an old Omani friend of mine once said to me, Yeish wa atraqairak yeish. Now, I, my pronunciation is poor of my Arabic, but live and let live. It means we shouldn't judge so much. Then the Middle East would have a better chance of a better tomorrow. And that's what it needs. Okay. That's what I wanted to share with you. I'm not sure it's much help, but it's just the way I think at the moment. God be with you and God bless you. Thanks.